Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Busby Babe podcast. This is Colin here, uh, once again, joined by Polly and Nathan. Uh, no Polly last got, names this week. Yeah. <laughs> Polly Questel and Nathan Heinschel. Uh, Polly was able to watch the game in real time yesterday, and Nathan uh, caught up on it today. So Manchester United, fresh off that uh, disappointing 2-2 draw against Southampton. I've, I've watched this Trafford. game twice already. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we we ha- we have thoughts that are no longer our immediate overreactions. So uh, we're gonna just dive right in. Um, is there anything you guys want to get off your chest about this game first? First and foremost. Um, yes, I would like to apologize to every Manchester United fan um, in the world. Um, United fell down, you know, one nil to Southampton in the first seven. Was it seven eight minutes of the game? I oh, was watching. I was watching that portion of the game when I was at work and then I got called into a meeting while I was in my meeting, Manchester United scored two goals. The moment I came out of my meeting, we looked flat and then we got scored on. So, you know what? I should have, I should have just prolonged the meeting. That's my beat. I will say that I feel from watching that game back, I watched it yesterday at a bar I had some reactions. There was whiskey flowing. Whiskey's one of those liquors that makes you a little bit angrier. Um, and I may have reacted in some way, but I did not have a lot of whiskey. I would like to say that there have been plenty of games where I've had more. Um, and I had some thoughts that I might have overreacted to. Uh, I fired off a tweet about some that didn't blame any particular player. It was really more blaming the manager. Um and a couple people were firing at me, um, and I ended up deleting the tweet. And then I, I rewatched the game, and turns out my immediate reaction when the whiskey was flowing was exactly what happened. I watched it back, and I'm like, no, this is this happened. I remembered this correct, and I had the same reaction. And really upset now because I. I mentioned win, and I deleted the tweet, and I let them win. But the uh, you let the comment divers win. Yeah. And, so uh, it's so I, I, it's so like the 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 mental toll that Twitter takes on you when you have three people in your mentions all fighting against you and being like you see like more and more people are seeing it this way, and you're just like actually like but the tweet that I that you don't agree with is like my most retweeted tweet in months. And I'm like, there's three people celebrating that they see things one way in my mentions. And it's like, I just got a hundred times as many new followers from this tweet. And what sticks with you is those three haters got Twitter haters. The toll is real. Yeah. Especially in moments like this, where I, I mean, it's not like some of these overreactions are, totally misplaced because these are things that we've you know kind of recognized as somewhat patterns with i know the scott mctominay issue and i I guess i want to start off talking about victor lindelof a little bit because i had been tweeting throughout the game that i thought this was one of his best performances in a while that you know shutting down these counterattacks where southampton were looking pretty dangerous even though we were still somewhat in control of the game and even going into the dying minutes, he was, you know, making really key clearances. And then the very last moment of the game when we need him most is when, you know, the defensive mishap happens. And 
it wasn't, I don't think we can say that it was entirely Victor Lindelof's fault, but it was his man that he was, you know, very tightly marking that ended up bundling the ball over the line uh, for the goal to make it 2-2. But it's I, really unfortunate that it happened that way because you're right. Yeah. Lindelof <laughs> was really good yesterday. And we were, one <laughs> error should not ruin that. And especially because um, in the 88th minute, I believe it was right before the Williams in, in, industry, uh, industry, it was either right before or sometime after, like in injury time, Southampton had, a, had another corner from the same position. And it was the same matchup. Lindelof on whatever the guy's Obafemi. name is, Obafemi, and Lindelof tucked inside, and he won the header and cleared that ball out. Uh, and it's like same exact marking pattern, Lindelof beats him to it, and then it's just one time where the chain of reactions of things to go wrong, like, you know, the near post header, the flick on, which puts the ball, you know, like Lindelof is guarding a corner, the header changes that. He, he doesn't do well to, to block that. Someone asked me, they were like, well, at what point do we want to get ri- like get on De Gea for not either not coming out on that or not commanding his box well? And I'm like, well, the, the ship on that sailed seven years ago because that's been a problem for nine years. So mm-hmm. at this point, <laughs> it, you know, it's not just De Gea, but I mean, Maguire is up marking, you know, the same person that Wambasaka is, you know, marking Wambasaka at one point, it looks like. And leaving Lindelof well, that, seemingly covering two or three guys at the back. Yeah, post. I don't know why that happened. There's so much pushing and everything that Maguire's actually holding Juan Basaka because his job is to go and get that that initial yeah. ball. So if there's so much pushing and Juan Basaka gets pushed into him, then he's taken out of the play. So he's holding Juan Basaka there to prevent him from getting pushed into him. Um, there's also just. Marcus Rashford is on the near post. The I forgot who won the the, the initial header. Jumps right over Rashford. Rashford mm-hmm. made no attempt to jump for this ball. And I understand he is probably being held down by whoever won that initial header. But if you jump at all, if, if Rashford just gets any kind of air between his feet and the ground, even if he doesn't win the header, that will throw off the physics of the ball and that second ball doesn't happen. You know, like... Because the guy jumped over Rashford's shoulder to win that ball. If Rashford gets up a bit, he probably gets a piece of the ball, and that means that ball's trajectory is, is different. And how Rashford doesn't even jump is beyond me. Nathan, you, this was one of the few moments you watched live. Uh, was there anything different you saw about it from your uh, your first viewing to compared to your second viewing? Well, it, it's actually funny you say that because the timing of when Obafemi scored that goal was about the same time that a few people were leaving the office. And so I was turned around from my desk and, um, but I still had the sound on and we're sitting there having a chat about kind of, you know, what's going to happen for the rest of the week at work. And all of a sudden I just hear the noise and I was like, Oh, I just felt a pit in my stomach and I turn around and see Obafemi celebrate. And I'm just like, God damn it. Um, so I actually did. I, I had to watch the replay of that goal and I was just dead inside after that. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is something all three of us, I know Nathan is the newer of us as Manchester United fans go, but uh, that 2015-16 season, uh, the 3-2 loss at Upton Park, it kind of, 
you know, the moment that top four hopes started to be dashed. This is the only feeling I, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of what this is being compared to, but there's still three it's games. It's such left. a ridiculous <laughs> comparison, though. It's yeah. such a ridiculous comparison. I mean, first of all, that was what well, we had. We had our fate in our own hands with two games left, and we went out there and lost that game, and we no longer had our fate in our own hands. This was, and, and against a bad West Ham team, this was a pretty good Southampton team that were always going to be a tough um, a tough matchup for us, and I think the, the most difficult team that we face on our Project Restart fixture list, outside of the Cups, um, just in the league. And when we won against Aston Villa on Thursday, that put us in a position where it was just win the rest of your games and you are in the Champions League. Doesn't matter what else happens. Uh, things broke our way, which is why this seems really bad. But at the end of this game, it is the exact same situation that we find ourselves in. Win the rest of your games and you're in the Champions League. That law, that not lost draw that felt like a loss changed absolutely nothing and guess what Leicester still have to play Sheffield they still have to play us and they still have to play is it Tottenham um I'm not sure about uh, one of them has to play Liverpool I think it's Chelsea that's Chelsea still to play, play Liverpool. Liverpool and Wolves so there are still points to be dropped for Chelsea who got a 1-0 against Norwich today because that's how impotent Norwich are but Chelsea I mean if Liverpool, even if Liverpool don't care, if their good players are on the field, they're dangerous against a Chelsea team that can't defend. Yeah. They also have to play Wolves, who will be playing for everything. So that could be a problem because Wolves are very good defensively and they're mm-hmm. very good on the counterattack. Chelsea are very bad at stopping counterattacks. Uh, so, like, there are points to be dropped there. Leicester can't beat anyone. So now for them to go and beat a res- – to, to expect them to win out against a resurgent uh, Sheffield or – and a Jose Mourinho mediocre team to expect them to take six points there when they haven't been able to take any points off anyone is ridiculous. But even if they do just win your games, we are even on points with them. Just win your games. And if you beat them, you're in the Champions League. Like it, it's frustrating because it seems like this is the a millionth time that United had a chance to jump Chelsea and they didn't. And it and someone Someone tweeted to me today, they were like, we just never take advantage of when our teams drop points. And I was like, nine games ago, Leicester were 14 points above us. We're even on points with them. We made up 14 points in nine games. So, like, let's, yeah, we haven't been able to jump Chelsea, but, like, let's not pretend that we haven't been able to claw back points. So, in their last four games, Leicester's only win is against our next opponents, Crystal Palace. And they had a 2-1 loss to Everton, who were in... I mean, decent form. They had a 1-1 draw against Arsenal, and they lost 4-1 against Bournemouth. Playing against Sheffield United, who are reinvigorated after a pretty poor start to the restart. And then Tottenham, who aren't exactly in a good run of form. But like you said, for a team that's struggling to score goals, that's probably not a team that you want to go up against right now. So things still looking up for Manchester United, and we play Thursday against Crystal Palace. Um, I actually haven't had the chance to watch Crystal Palace a whole lot this season, but I am very aware that they are not in good form right now. I think they've lost their last five games in the Premier League. Um, they just lost to Villa, who are the latest team to get right. the... We played Ali Gunnar Solskjaer and then got a bump after that. Uh, I think every <laughs> team other than Bournemouth have won their next game. And Bournemouth drew Tottenham, so that's... Um, 
they got their first point of Project Restart and then went out there and beat Leicester. Mm-hmm. And what was a hilarious implosion, which is why, again, you can't really like get scared of Leicester. Um, but for this Crystal Palace game, and I guess, Nathan, I'll start with you. Do you think that we keep the same 11 that we've started for the last five Premier League games in a row now? Well, it seems like the last two podcasts we've done, I've suggested that maybe it's time that we uh, probably try and do a, a a refresh of the team and then it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost wonder though, to a certain degree watching that game yesterday, or, well, I guess for me more today than yesterday, United's starting to, to, to look a little gassed out. I, you know, um, uh, Robbie Musto on NBC sports network yesterday was saying that, you know, he, he doesn't think it's necessarily a valid excuse because, you know, they've had three months off. And so it, Sure, it's midweek weekend, midweek weekend, um, but they've only played five or six games, so he he doesn't necessarily think it's a, a decent excuse. You know, we've got a couple guys who are covering a lot of kilometers per game. You'd like to think that we could be in a situation to, you know, give them a rest or maybe have them come in the second half, but I just know what that looks like now after that knowledge yeah. game. So I just feel like, you know, everybody's got to be tired uh understandably but i think you still have to put your best foot forward to start the game because there's no sense in chancing it and allowing crystal palace to grow in any kind of confidence in maybe a nil nil or one nil game uh maybe a two one game who knows what the scoreline is but either way if it if it's close for crystal palace and and we're not playing with our best 11 and then we're trying to sub in guys in like the 60th 75th minute to make it our best 11 i i just don't think that's a good recipe for for us to take three points in that game. So um, I, I think they just got to roll with, you know, the best 11 and try and punch them in the mouth. Cause yeah. like said, Crystal Palace hasn't looked good, but I don't, I, surprisingly I dis- though, uh, go ahead, Polly. I disagree that they looked tired. I don't think this squad is tired. Uh, that's what uh, I was going to say. I, I think it was only like really our fullbacks and Nemanja Matic to me that kind of looked tired. No. I mean, yeah, our, our it front wasn't. Five didn't really look exhausted. I don't, I don't think we're. I don't think we're exhausted because, for the most part, uh, and I wrote about this Monday in what was like the worst, the least well-aged post ever on the Busby Babe, because uh, it went up right before kickoff and then it just fell apart. But Solskjaer's rotated the squad very well. Nobody's played more than nobody has played 90 minutes more than two games in a row, basically, except for Harry Maguire. And Luke Shaw. Everybody else has been subbed off at least twice or started on the bench at least twice. Um, you know, the schedule so far has been very accommodating that they've been, you know, four or five days off. So I don't think that they were tired. I, we, we mentioned this on the last pod, podcast that basically, though, the games have all been being played at like 80 percent intensity. Like there's just times during the game where they're walking around and like Bruno will have the ball and he'll just be walking. Um, and it's because the rest of the United players are, and their opponents are. And, you know, we talked about this. Sheffield kind of just packed it in at halftime and went home. Brighton did the same thing after like 65 minutes. Villa did the same thing eventually. Everybody just says, you know, we're in this race, you know, for most of the, for the most of the teams that we're playing, it's we're in this relegation battle. And the, the points against Manchester United aren't as important as the points three days from now. So let's just settle in rest or you know get out of this game alive and and go take on the next opponents and maybe that's why 
all these teams after they play us seem to be winning because the second half they kind of just chill and don't really exert any effort. They they just it's a sunk cause. Um, to me, it looked, but so all these games have been at 80 percent intensity and Southampton just came in and they were like, no, we're playing at 100 percent. And that kind of caught us off guard is what mm-hmm. I thought. All of a sudden we were like, whoa, we got to actually play. And and that's, you know, we weren't bad. It just looked like everything was a little bit off. You know, yeah. every 50-50 ball, we were one step late. And it everything just seemed a little bit off. But like when Pogba came out of the game after an hour, 56% possession. Like we were out shooting them. We had a 2-1 lead. We had missed a few chances. They hadn't threatened since that Armstrong goal. Like the, the game was under control. It just... It was everybody was just not quite themselves. Yeah, it felt disjointed towards the end of that game. And that's I mean, that's clearly why Southampton was able to get back into it. Um, They certainly looked a lot more confident in the, you know, maybe the final 15 minutes uh, and then tack on stoppage time. And then certainly, too, with Brandon Williams going out, there's a small break there as they were trying to make sure he was okay And it just allowed Southampton was able to just get that confidence to try and find that set piece goal. So I think I would agree with you on that one. Maybe tired wasn't the right word that I used earlier, but definitely like disjointed. It just didn't. Now that we've seen this team, what it looks like when it's clicking on all cylinders, it was like, we didn't see him click on all cylinders yesterday. And that's right. Yeah, and when your playmakers are feels bad, man. Yeah. Paul Pogba and Bruno were like each of their passes through to like send someone through on goal, just or, maybe send someone through on a run to lead to a chance. It just seemed a little bit off. Uh, it's like, right, but they, they also they made some great passes. Right. They also or, made some great passes set up. Like that's how good they are. That even when they're bad, you know, like, cause the, the two goals don't happen without Pogba. Pogba's and, pass to Martial was just like unreal. Yeah. yeah and then, but then there's, uh, at, you know, like Rashford finishes that first one with his left. There was the play beforehand where Shaw, made that beautiful ball to Rashford for the goal and he was just offside. Um, but Rashford finishes with his left and then in the second half, he gets two chances. One of them, he doesn't even shoot, but he, he came in on his left foot and he could have just blasted it. He tried, he waited for Martial and Southampton just closed him down. The other one was that play that Martial put it right in front where he lets it run across his body to his right foot. And, you know, the fractions of a second that it takes for you to let that run across your body to your right foot is all the fractions of a second that Nathan Redmond needed to get there and make the block. And it's just, it's weird why he didn't just take it with his left foot. He was very close in and you already scored with your left. It was just weird. Like in a game where at that point you realized you had no time or anything, how he just again tried to force this ball into his right foot and it, and it, it missed. And like, that was the thing about Rashford and Martial is all day they were they were the only two guys on the field that were unplayable. Southampton just couldn't figure them out. But then you get Martial blasting the ball 30 rows deep off his left foot from the top of the box when he has Rashford right there in in his line of sight, an easy layoff. And and then Martial getting back on defense, stealing the ball down on the touchline and making a run through the entire Southampton defense and then blasting the ball wide again from the top of the box this time on his right foot it was like again everything was there except one little thing was off from each of our players and then apparent like 
Colin wrote in the player ratings, like you can't fault Solskjaer for running back the same 11 and you can't like, but one thing was off with him too. Like when he went and just made a substitution at the end of the game, that goes against every strategy he's been deploying all season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's maybe talk about that a little bit because when I was writing the rating for Solskjaer, it, I, I think I gave him a five out of 10, which seems a bit harsh now, or maybe it was a six out of 10, but Really, I think what hurt him the most in that regard and the performance as a whole was that his direct involvements in the second half proved to be detrimental to Manchester United's efforts to win the game. And like the Brandon Williams thing was out of his control and that, you know, that's that's not something we can blame him for. That's not a moment where you can make another substitution with the current rules. But he his changes to midfield to bring on McTominay and Fred just absolutely yielded control to Southampton in that part of the park. I don't, and I, I don't think well, that that was his intention, obviously, when, but... When, when Pogba came off, I thought it was one of two things. One was, I'm going to use Pogba as an example, send a message to the squad that it doesn't matter who you are, if you don't bring your A game, I'm going to yank you off. It was also the 60th minute, and it was at the hour mark, and if you're thinking about the fact that we have Crystal Palace in... That the entire schedule has been spread out amongst a bunch of days, and now all of a sudden, for the first time, we have a game in three days plus an FA Cup semifinal in three days after that. Now is really the first time since the restart that the games are coming thick and fast for United. Uh, in terms of rotating the squad, it makes sense to say we've had the game under control. Uh, I'm going to pull Pogba off now so that you know he only plays an hour today, and then he's and then he could start against Crystal Palace on Thursday. So even if I do rotate the squad a bit, you know, I'm not taking everybody out. So I thought it was a rotation piece. And you bring on Fred, who, you know, all of a sudden now you're looking at it, and with the exception of Marcus Rashford for Dan James, this is the 11 that was playing and getting results in February and March and playing well. Mm-hmm. And the game reflected that. They, they seeded a little bit of possession, but... You know, like I said, it was 56 percent when um, when Pogba came off, when McTominay and James came on, it was 54. So, like, it, it didn't go down that much. And they and United got the better of the chances. Southampton had one half chance over those 21 minutes. The game was still in the you know, United still had control of the game. And then it was it was obvious Bruno Fernandez was exhausted and needed to come mm-hmm. on. OK, uh, Mason Greenwood wasn't just ineffective at Southampton. We're doing a really good job of keeping him ineffective. So might as well get Dan James's legs on. Where's Odie Nagala? You know, Odie Nagala is like the perfect striker to come on late in a game to kill the game off. And that's how Solskjaer has been using him all year. Uh, like you saw the holdup play that he had against City right before McTominay's goal. It's stuff like that. And like, yeah, Martial was having a great game and he's, really good at hold up play too, but like a 100% fresh Igalo is probably better than a Martial that has 83 minutes on his legs. So where was that? So that was weird. And then to bring on McTominay and James, when they saw McTominay coming on, I was like, okay, like, are you taking off Matic? Like to, to then go to the Matic McTominay pivot, which hasn't worked at all this year um, and move Fred to the number 10 where he doesn't play was extremely questionable at the time. And it blew up in their face immediately. Um, Like I said, 56% possession when Pogba left 54 when 
um, when Fred, when McTominay came on, by the time Williams got hurt, it was at 51. I mean, as soon as they came on, United didn't have possession at all. I tweeted out this morning, their longest string of possession was when they cleared a cross in and Martial tried to run onto it. Martial to run. That was their longest string of possession until the until after the Southampton goal. McTominay came in. If your plan was shore up the midfield and and or kill the game off, then bringing in your least possession based midfielder is questionable. If your choice was, if your strategy was, we're just going to sit back and defend now. Um, that's weird because that's not what Solskjaer has done all year. The one other time he did that was against Sheffield, and guess what happened? They gave up a late equalizer. Uh, like so, it just doesn't make any sense. And for all the plaudits that McTominay gets about being defensive, he, he was the ball was in play for about ten minutes. Uh, the game ended at the 108th minute. There was four minutes for the Williams injury. He was playing football for about 10 minutes, zero defensive actions. He had one touch of the ball. I mean, you could not have less of an impact on that. And when the game ended, you know, United have 48% of possession. As soon as McTominay came in, not saying it's his fault, but suddenly they didn't have any possession whatsoever. And when this consistently happens, you got to wonder, like, it might not be your fault, but what are you doing that's causing the team to implode like this? Right. And, I mean, figuring out how to best use McTominay has been kind of a pretty big question on this podcast for the last season as a whole. But I think it's pretty clear that he's not a defensive asset for Manchester United. And in a situation like this, like you said, it's probably more beneficial to bring on somebody who can help you hold up the play when you do actually get forward. And um, I, I do, I remember right before the restart when someone, I think I brought it up on this podcast, but someone tweeted at me like, how do you think he's going to play with an empty stadium? And I was like, that's a good point because this is a player that really feeds off the crowd's energy. And like, this is one of the things I've been saying. Like, I think that the empty stadiums will help the big teams because, you know, when you play Brighton, uh, you go in hard on a challenge on Bruno Fernandez. And the crowd goes nuts. You you race back to your feet because you want to go hard in for the next one. It gives you that adrenaline. When you when you go hard in on him four minutes into the game and there's no reaction from the crowd, you know, you kind of, you go, oh, now I got to stand up and get back in the position. And it's, you know, so like those adrenaline happens like that. And McTominay is a player that literally feeds off the crowd energy. So to come in in these games where there's no atmosphere, it's – it's not easy for any player, and his performances since the restart have really been below standard, even for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we are going to take a quick break here, and then we'll come back in part two to talk a little bit about Crystal Palace and answer a fan question. So stay tuned. Right. Welcome back for part two of this episode of the Busby Babe podcast. Uh, we are going to answer a Twitter question now. So, Polly, uh, the floor is yours. Uh, that's a voicemail, email, voice note, or Twitter question. However, right. you want to <laughs> get at us. 617 Busby Bay, or send a voice note or an email to Busby Bay Podcast at gmail.com. Or you could tweet us at the Busby Babe. You could tweet me at PQSL. You could tweet at Colin the Shots 95. You could, you could tweet Nathan is red. There are so many different ways where you can get through to us, or you could just argue with me on Twitter and I might randomly select your 
your question because Actually, it's a good one. Please send me the question because I'm always jealous that Polly gets to do these interactions and <laughs> I just post an ironic tweet every once in a while and Colin likes it and that's about it. Yeah. And I'll retweet it from the Busby Babe account if Nathan calls me out for retweeting one of my own tweets. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, the yeah. Uh, propaganda machine. Fire up your questions. We'll we'll always select the best one. When when I get a good one, I always mark it down so we can get it on the show. So this one comes from Festus Okanlola at underscore Sir Festus O. And what he said was, we don't have a left back. How do we approach Palace and Chelsea on Thursday and Sunday? I don't have confidence in Delote. We're getting stretched. I know it's in our hands, but how do we manage the fatigue now and still make top four? Hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> I I haven't heard the news on Luke Shaw yet, so I, I assume that it wasn't horrible. There won't be. Well, the, the news yeah. this morning was like he's going to come into Carrington and they're going to check him out, but there will not right. be like I promise you, Solskjaer's press conference tomorrow is going to be like, yeah, we're assessing Luke. Like, we'll see what he does today. Like, <laughs> he's going to keep he's going to keep it very very close to the chest. Time yeah. is cyclical, Both man. Like, oh, and and <laughs> Williams. A week ago, we were talking about the penalty controversy from what feels like seven years ago. Now, now are we going to start talking about Ollie's injury management again from January? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, since we don't have any Luke Shaw news yet, I'm going to try and get creative with this one. And it'll kind of tie in, I guess, or this conversation will tie into our Palace preview. Yeah, so, I, I have creative options. Yeah. So I think what I would try is a back three of Bai, Lindelof, and Maguire. And then at your wing backs, you'll have. Aaron Wambasaka on the right and Daniel James Woo! as left wing back. That was one of mine. Uh, and you know, obviously against Palace, you would expect us to have most of the possession. You could still have your midfield, you know, the pivot midfield of Matic or, or Fred, and then Paul Pogba with Bruno Fernandez in front of them, and uh, you know, keep your Martial Rashford duo up there. Wait, that's eleven, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I would maybe. I don't know. I I feel hesitant to bench Mason Greenwood right now, but I do think that in a game where you have to win for one and where you need to try and break someone down, it might be useful to have someone coming off the bench in an attacking role. So, yeah, I I would maybe see how Daniel James does at that position. He played left winger. Uh, it wasn't wing back, obviously, but he played left winger. Um for most of his time at Swansea. He's played left wing a fair amount for us too. Yeah. I think most of his goals have come from all of his goals have come from left wing and all of his assists have come from the right wing. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty we good balance. Clone him. <laughs> um, I guess maybe I'll go more traditional. Um, I mean, granted his injury history is a little spotty right now too. Um, but piggybacking off of something that Halson mentioned the other day, um, I wonder if maybe we at least see Ethan Laird in the 18, if if he's cleared to play. Um, and we try and go a little more traditional and see maybe what the Diego Dallo option looks like, and then maybe bring in the youngster uh, with fresh legs in the second half uh, and just stay with the four back in the 4-2-3-1. Um, I mean, granted... I was the author of that piece back in October talking about three in the back. Um, so I'm certainly open to it. I, I like the idea of testing out Daniel James. Cause if there's one thing he's got, it's, 
it's speed and moxie. So um, as long as he's not making really, really dumb decisions and he plays a little more conservative, um, I don't I don't see why he probably couldn't shadow somebody and at least make it very difficult on the wing uh, for whichever Crystal Palace winger he's going up against. So, yeah, I have a bunch of different ideas that run through my head. Not a single one of them includes Diogo Dolo. <laughs> I, Scott um, McTominay at left back. We've we've seen we've seen Dolo at right back, and it's like it's not great. We saw him at left back last year, and it was real bad. Um, and so we call so back Ashley Young. Doesn't trust him at all. I don't see that happening. I don't. I wouldn't. I'm not going to rule it out, but I don't see it being the preference. I happen to think Luke Shaw is going to play. Um, he went down with his ankle, got treatment. Brandon Williams got up and was about to be subbed in. And then Shaw walked off like the trainer, the physio did not help him off the field at all. Shaw gave a thumbs up to the bench. Um, the physio gave a thumbs up to the bench. The comments and as soon as Bruno Fernandez took that corner kick, Luke Shaw was back on the field. The trainer made a, the commentator made a comment that like Brandon Williams was going back and sitting down. Um, and right off that corner, Southampton got the ball and broke the other way. And Luke Shaw got back. He was running. Everything looked completely fine. And the ball went out for either a goal kick or a corner. Solskjaer decided, safety first. Let's take you off. Let's put on Brandon Williams. Not a bad decision, but he walked off the field. I'd say the commentator said limping. He was definitely not limping. I would say maybe walking gingerly, but walking off the field. It looked like it was fine. I think in three days he should be fine. Brandon Williams also, like, he got a blow to the head. He didn't get, like, uh, you know, like, he got a, he got busted open a bit, but, like, that's something you put, it was all concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. So if he's cleared, then he's fine. Um, if he's not cleared, then obviously not fine. So we don't know there. Um, I think in football terms, they, they could have left him on, but kudos to Solskjaer for, like, you know, being a little bit progressive there and taking him off. It ended up costing us the game because we went to a 5-3-1 with 10 players with Fred playing as the wingback. Um, and our midfield was Dan James, Scott McTominay, and Marcus Rashford. So, like, I don't blame us for not holding possession after the Brandon Williams injury because you look at the players that we had in the field and that's just bad luck. There was no chance of that. I wouldn't be shocked to see a back three with Fred playing as the wingback. Um He's got because of that, mm-hmm. because of that, um, I wouldn't be shocked to see a back three with Dan James, but but the left center back being Luke Shaw in terms of like maybe mm-hmm. put him in there and um, because it's less running to play as that center back than it is, you know, further up the field. I also wouldn't be shocked to see that back three just as a way to rotate the squad. If you go to the back three, maybe with Shaw, uh, you could play Fred as the wing back, but he can kind of shuffle into the middle when he has to, uh, or you play Dan James out wide and Pogba and friend. It's a way to get Matic a break. Like you said, I don't feel right benching Mason Greenwood. And I don't think you'd be, I don't think anybody would be being benched in this game. I think we do need to rotate the squad a bit because we do have Chelsea on three days later and like that's an important game like no matter I I understand that finishing in the top four and the league is more important but that does not mean uh like that does not mean that 
the game isn't important. Like 95 is a high number. 96 is just a higher number. Um, also a name that like I, that you should throw at that. Like I wouldn't be completely, I'd be shocked to see it, but like a name that should be in your head, Timothy Fosumensa. Hmm. What? When is the last time he like started a game for Manchester United? When was the last United? time he started the game? Probably 2016. Yeah. But was on the bench. Did he play against of, like Astana? No, he was injured. No. He's been injured for like a million years, or on loan, or he's not been doing injured. anything. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. He I like came back from injury. He like they were like he's back in training back in like December and was never really available. Um, he was on the bench against Norwich. Um, so it wouldn't that, that yeah. going to a back three with Fosu Mensa, because again, in that back three, if you need to shift it to a back four, he can play as the fullback. Um, so that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, does anybody know how the, how the transfer market's working right now? Like, could we buy David Oliver real quick and then just fly him to London and put a shirt on him? <laughs> you uh, I don't think it works. I don't know like when that. the window opens or closes, but I know you can't register new players for the Premier League. That's too bad. Well, because I, 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 I'm mostly making the joke only because I saw, I think Chelsea posted a picture with uh, Hakeem Ziyech at Stamford Bridge. So it was just, I forget they did their business in January. Chelsea's problems are going to be solved with new attackers. Their their problem is they can't defend. So well, Timo Werner is going to play wing back for him. Yes, yeah, new attackers. <laughs> Well, once they get in, you know, Kai Havertz, then they won't need the defenders. They'll just, you know, put all attackers on the pitch. The ball will never go across the half halfway line. Right. Yeah. And so, I, I also, I like the idea of Ethan Laird, too, but isn't Ethan, I, I'm pretty sure Ethan Laird doesn't have any experience playing left back. And I don't think Ollie would move him over. Yeah, he's only played right back in the Europa League, and he's, I mean, I've never seen him play left back, but I've also not really watched he's much. Like, yeah, he's also like returning from an injury, so, you know, yeah. that would that would be a huge ask to be like, hey, can you play left back in this game? It's only against Crystal Palace, but it's also like a really important game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what are, I guess, quick expectations for this game? I think, obviously, we expect us to possess a lot, but uh, I don't know. Do you guys feel like, this is another game where you try and, like, hit them really early and just... Or Solshire puts out, you know, the best 11 early and tries to get the goals quickly and then sub everyone off. Or do you think that he sets this 11... I, I guess I kind of asked Nathan this question earlier in the podcast, but with the weekend in mind, because Chelsea have five days of rest. They played today. They beat Norwich 1-0, and they get, you know, what... Yeah, five full days of rest before the Sunday semifinal, and we only get three. And... I like Polly said, this isn't necessarily, you know, huge for us in terms of trying to qualify for the Champions League next year. Winning the FA Cup is not part of that priority, but there's still a lot that comes with winning trophies in not just your reputation with Manchester United fans and, you know, the history of the club and all that. But I think Ollie definitely sees the value in that in trying to build a squad with a winning mentality. Um, I think if we win that game yesterday, then we can enjoy the luxury a little bit more of, uh, maybe doing some more adventurous rotation just to keep guys fresh for Chelsea. But I, I think at this point, like that's a luxury now that we probably shouldn't be taking. Cause I champions league qualification is so, so important. I mean, between the, 
the reputation of it, the financials that come along with it. Potentially, it's going to affect our recruiting if we don't, you know, if we find a way to muff it up and not get Champions League football next year. Um, so I think with a team like Crystal Palace and knowing their manager, Roy Hodgson, I they're not in the best form, but I think you can still count on them to probably be pretty organized on defense. Um, so I think for that reason, United needs to just go ahead and put out their best best 11. Um, as best as they can. Uh, obviously, injuries could potentially bar some of that. But I think um, if you're going up against a, you know, the Roy Hodgson system, um, which Aaron Wan-Bissaka is pretty familiar with, and he knows how uncreative it can be playing on the side that he played on, um, just go for it. Try, it. try and just punch him in the mouth and then walk out in the 60th, 75th minute and, you know, run out the clock at that point. But I think, I think you got to take this game very, very seriously. Even with Chelsea in mind, I had d- just don't mess around. There's three games left in the Premier League. Just don't mess around. Yeah. I don't, it's, it's hard. Everybody thinks like when you say like, Oh, rotate the squad, that means like you're getting like a Norwich lineup. Right. And I don't think that's what would happen again. I think he pulled Pogba off the field after 60 minutes because he, he's like, I'm not, I need you to play 90 minutes or I need you to play at least an hour on Thursday and I'm going to need you for 90 minutes on Sunday. So, you know, I got to get you possibly minutes. another 30, possibly right. 20 minutes on Thursday. Right. I need to get you off now. And like this game looks in control. I think Bruno Fernandez might drop out of the team because he badly, he looked tired at the end of the game. He also didn't have one of his best games. He had a wayward pass to Rashford that uh, was not a simple pass but by no means a difficult pass. And Rashford was in acres of space. So like all you had to do is hit it in Rashford's vicinity and Rashford would get it. Maybe not have, you know, maybe if it wasn't accurate, like Southampton had a chance, would have a chance to recover and Rashford wouldn't be open by the time he got it. But he missed him completely. And Rashford had to go chase it down to keep it in at the touchline. And you could, if you watched it on the, without the crowd noise, you could hear how pissed off Solskjaer was, you know, like that. It was almost like that, that, uh, that video that got posted in the league cup when he yelled at Lingard, like, if you do that again, I'm taking you off. Like you could hear him be mad at Bruno. So maybe Bruno gets a rest, gets a 60 to 70 minute rest against Crystal Palace. It's going to be a boring game. Crystal Palace are going to be defensive. They're going to be well organized. That's a small pitch there. It's hard to, it's hard to say like, Hey, like, let's take, I mean, at this point, yeah, when we've rotated the squad, those, the players that have come in have proven that they do not deserve to be playing at the same time. Like you need people to have a break. And I just, I don't think this is a game where even if you played your best 11, you'd be able to blitz them and get a three net lead. I think Matic will be rested because again, it's actually Matic is an interesting one because I think you rest him for Chelsea, but I could also see him playing in this Palace game and going to McTominay against Chelsea. Um, I could see that happening, but I think mm-hmm. Fred comes in. I, it wouldn't shock me to see like Fred and Matic with Pogba further forward, or you can go Pogba Fred. And I, it wouldn't. I, they're in such good form that it's hard to say like let's keep Martial or Rashford out of the squad. But again, like if. If they're packed in defensively, that's not – and, you know, and it's a pitch with 
less width than normal. Like that's not a game that suits Marcus Rashford. It wouldn't shock me to bring on Juan Mata or Daniel James and Odie Nigalo to maybe play a little bit more direct. Like with Pogba there, you could have Pogba getting into the box and Mata and and James trying to find him and Igalo being as more of a traditional number nine. And he could also play as that his holdup plays good enough as the false nine that you could find Daniel James running in behind. Um, you know, it wouldn't shock me to go do that and try to grind out a one nil win, you know, bearing in mind, you can bring a Fernandez and a Mason Greenwood and a Martial and a Rashford off the bench. I mean, if, if you play Pogba Fred, and your regular back four, and even and James and Mott on the wings, like that's not a team that Crystal Palace that you're really worried about Crystal Palace going the other way on. So mm-hmm. you're worried about a nil-nil, but um, I wouldn't be worried about like with 30 minutes left, I got to bring on my good players to chase a game. Plus, by the time we kick off, we might it might only take one point to get into the top four. Yeah, it's. <laughs> That's very true. And, uh, I mean, depending on if Sheffield United can pull out all the goals that they did this weekend, you know, they may do the goal difference work for us. I mean, the goal difference is where it needs to be now. It's at three. So, yep. like, all you got to do is if we're even on points with Leicester, you got all you have to do is beat them by two. Um, and the goal difference is there. But Sienzu, uh on a red card. So Leicester now have to go to a new back four. Mm-hmm. Um. And by the okay. way, he's going to miss the game against United, too. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing. I think Siensu is like the closest thing that the Premier League has to a second David Luiz. He seems to me like a bit clumsy. Uh, he's only given away two penalties. One of them was against Rashford. Um, but I, And I thought it was more, but like he just seems like a clumsy defender. Yeah. All right. Well, um I think that about does it, unless you guys have anything else to add. Nathan's pulling a face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, his mic's off. Oh, Nathan, Nathan <laughs> muted himself. Oh, no. Oh, God, what do I do? Um, no, I just... That was when he was talking about how Bram Lane will be a tough atmosphere. Yeah, let's <laughs> just get the... Park. <laughs> let's just get the dub, bro. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, um, I think we'll have a live stream stream up during that game. I know that Matt and I will at least be able to do it. Uh, I think I'll be a part of it, uh, but, like, God, it's going to be a boring. Like, b- come with topics to talk about because that's going to be a right. boring. And don't leave me uh, alone again at halftime like we did last time where I had to mark gold Bridget. And I just sat there in silence for about five minutes. I will say this. You're going to need to sync up your TV better because I'm not going to wait. I'll give you one chance, but okay, then I'm well, going back to the cable. and. Yeah, I've, I've got it on cable this time. So if Nathan oh, okay. can find a way to be as close to us as possible. Well, we or... don't we don't have to worry about that because the, isn't the right, game. Nathan's just a producer. Oh, yeah, on Nathan, Friday, right? Yeah. It's on it's Thursday. Thursday. Or on Thursday? Yeah. Yeah, I, I shan't be uh, on that live stream, but I will be there for the uh, FA Cup. Yeah, and I, I will not be there, unfortunately, for the FA Cup. I will be Same. on the road. <laughs> well, then, I'm not Mark Goldbridge. All right, guys, you got to watch the FA Cup by yourself. It'll be Nathan and Matt. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that on Thursday. And also, after the game on Thursday, uh, if anyone is on the Locker Room Beta app, uh, Brent and I will be talking about Manchester United's goals for the rest of the season, uh, pending the result on Thursday. 
Tell Brent to come on the pod. Yeah. Right, and, uh, maybe Brent will also make an appearance on the uh, live stream or podcast next week. So, uh, yeah. And uh, if you want to submit a fan question, like Polly said earlier, you can tweet at either one of us or you can tweet at the Busby Babe account. Um, and you can also call the number that I don't know that Polly knows. 617 Busby Bay. Unless the area code's not 617, but I think it is. Right. And uh, we'll probably tweet it out tomorrow or during the game so that you guys can see that as well. So that about does it for us. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Auf Wiedersehen.